Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello everyone, I'm Chris Wynn. Welcome to the Walker Report podcast in association with the Sunday Community Soup Kitchen as we find ourselves reflecting on a season that has led us to our fourth trip to Wembley in the space of around three years, which means the talk of Sunderland's record at the National Stadium comes under the gaze of the media once again. So who better to talk to about that subject and more other than Tiny Sports presenter Simon O'Rourke. Welcome Simon. Hello, how are you? I should point out I was one of the 150 or so who were there when Sunderland actually won at Wembley as well. Wow, that's uh, something to hold on to. Well, you could be our good luck charm, although... I don't know whether you were there the other times, but uh, I'll hold on to anything I can get right now. But yeah, thanks again for for joining us, Simon. Uh, third time this season, uh, so it's good to catch up with you again. How are you keeping? Yeah, good. Obviously, busy time towards the end of the season is always busy time for football media. But it's also it's it's kind of like our cup final time as well. When things get interesting, when the big matches come about, it's when everyone comes alive. It's great. Enjoy it. Well, we did say last time we'd catch up again if Sunderland were involved in the playoffs and. Here we are. And I'm sure we'll touch on the, the details of the games and all that sort of stuff later on. But uh, were you lucky enough to be covering the two legs in the semi-final against Sheffield Wednesday? Yes, I was. I was, at, I was at both games. First thing to say is that I think Sunderland thoroughly deserved to get through over the two games. I thought that they were the better team over two games. I thought Sheffield Wednesday huffed and puffed in their home leg at Hillsborough. But... They literally only produced one moment of quality across two games. It got them a goal, but Sunderland got their goal back. Sunderland deserved to get their goal back. Sunderland deserved to win the tie and go to Wembley. Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a bit incredible as well. And and that, as you said, that Hillsborough one. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm sure the thought crossed your mind, being you know, I haven't seen it all before, but I just thought would be ruin those missed chances at the Stadium of Light. That is how it felt. Yes, obviously, and. I was going to say it's a strange game. It was a playoff semi-final second leg is what it was. It was horrible. It was gritty. It was nasty. It was scrappy. I didn't think there was going to be a goal at all. That, that's the thing I found interesting. Both goals in that match on Monday night, I didn't see either of them coming. I, I didn't. It reached a point in the second half where I didn't think Sheffield Wednesday were going to score. Then they scored. And then obviously you think, oh dear, well now what happens? And I thought it would go to extra time. It didn't. There you go. Didn't really see the Sunderland goal coming, but when it came... I thought Jack Clark had been actually very good all night. And so, you know, he was involved. There it was. And it, it was a great moment for Sunderland fans. Yeah. Well, I, I had money on a 
nil nil funnily enough but uh, I'll take the 1-1 one, one. <laughs> I didn't mind in the end but yeah I said we're, we've caught up a couple of times this season um, and we last caught up during the international break towards the end of March uh, which in many respects seems like a lifetime ago it was interesting for me I mean I, li- I listened back to it but in terms of how much the jury was still out on Alex Neal as manager at that point, even at that early stage. He'd had eight games in charge at that point, and we'd won three of those uh, eight games. But after we talked, we went on a run and won five and drew two before the season finished. So, I mean, regardless of how the playoffs turn out, how the final goes against Wickham, how big an achievement is it that Alex Neal got us into that top six? I think it's a very big achievement. You look at the points that were acquired this season to get into the top six, there's some seasons where Sunderland's points total would have seen them automatically promoted. It was a tough race to to run, really. It was it was hard because of what happened mid-season with the changeover. It sort of put them on the back foot for an extended period of time. He had to work very quickly. He had to work with what he had. And he moulded something effective really impressively in quite quick time. I seem to remember saying, actually, there might be a few clunky matches um, whilst he was getting his message across, but he got his message across. They've become pragmatic. They've become a bit more functional than they were. But it, it's what he's done. He he's sort of not. He's cut out a lot of the noise around the outside of the matches. Just concentrated on the matches and just turned the team into a team that's extremely hard to beat. That's got some good attacking players that more often than not can score goals to win your games. Yeah, I mean, and as well when we're on that run. I mean, in terms of League One this season. Did it surprise you that we needed a run like that to, to kind of cement a place in the top six? Because it took a lot of points this year to, to get in that top six. And it seemed like every time we won, we were always in exactly the same place, just on the edge of the playoffs. And, and obviously it took until the final day to, to actually confirm our place. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I was surprised. Um, I thought, it's usually you think 80 and you're normally absolutely safe getting in. But, you know, Oxford were decent all season. They conked out towards the end. Um, it was. It was just hard. It, it it just it never appeared easy. You think you know? I actually feel a bit sorry for Plymouth with the with the, with the, with the way it turned out for them. It, it was hard. It it was a really hard little group to get into this year, and it hasn't been like that in the last three years. I mean, obviously, the couple of times Sunderland have been in the playoffs, not counting the COVID season. You know, they they sort of like stumbled over the line to get to the playoffs. And it wasn't like that at all this time. It was a completely different thing. Yeah. And and again, I mean, going back to, to March when we talked last, again, it was the early days of, of Alex Neil. You've mentioned it there that we looked a little bit tighter, even then, after his first eight games. But, uh, you know, the seven games before the playoffs, we'd only conceded two goals. And I think the seven games, away games before Alex Neil took over, we'd conceded 14. So it's obvious there with just that stat, how, how much he tightened us up. But, I mean, as you mentioned, with the time frame he had, I mean, how impressed are you with the job Alex Neil did, considering that time frame he had to do with him? It's remarkable, really. It, 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 he's turned a team that was, you know, as leaky as a colander in, into something that's as tight as a drum now. If you notice the reaction of the Sunderland defenders when Sheffield Wednesday scored on Monday night, it's, it's a kind of interesting reaction, I think. The goal itself is actually quite a good goal. Now, there's always ways that you can pick about Patrick Roberts maybe shouldn't have allowed the ball inside him, etc. That kind of thing. Alex Neal will look at it and say there's five ways we could have avoided that goal. But actually, looking at it just from a footballing point of view, it was a nice goal. It's a lovely ball from Bannon. Ball swept across and then there's the finish. So it's, it's not a terrible goal to concede, but you look at the reaction of the defenders and they just look really angry. 
say, we don't let goals in anymore. I can't believe it. Somebody involved with the club at half time mentioned it wouldn't surprise it wouldn't have surprised them when it was nil nil at half time. It wouldn't have surprised them if Sunderland didn't concede another goal this season, because to to use a basketball term in terms of defending, he's got them locked in. The whole team is locked in now, and they are they are focused on their defending. They're taking pride in it, which I think was a thing that was missing under Lee Johnson. It was sort of oh well, never mind if a goal goes in, we'll score three up the other end. Whereas now. To me, they have the look of a team that takes pride in their clean sheets, takes pride in winning every tackle, takes pride in heading away every set piece and is like mortally offended by the thought of conceding a goal. <laughs> yeah, but it's definitely the way to be. Um, and, and But actually, what one other aspect of the, the Alex Neal era is, is the late goals. I mean, one of which obviously took us to, to Wembley at, at Hillsborough. But I was looking I was looking today and by my reckoning, 10 out of the 24 goals scored under Alex Neil before the playoffs were scored by Sunderland in the last 10 minutes of the game, which comes out around 40% of all the goals scored under Alex Neil came in the last 10 minutes of the game. I mean, some, some could argue that it suggests we don't do well enough earlier in the game and we need to get out of jail. Or you could say that we do whatever it takes to get the result. So what does that statistic tell you about the team at the moment? It suggests that um, they've found mental strength. They keep going till the end. That, I, I'll, I, I, you're right. You can say, well, why didn't you score in the first 88 minutes? <laughs> but you can go glass half full or glass half empty, can't you? And, and at the moment, uh, I am tending towards glass half full with Alex Neil Sunderland. And I just think he's clearly very much no bullshit, absolute iron mindset. And, and he's kind of it appears, got that through to the team. And I think the late goals are a symptom of that. In fact, can I give you my breadcrumb moments, my top five Alex Neal late game moments? This is the breadcrumb <laughs> trail which has led them to Wembley and we'll get to, I think, ultimately, promotion. Um, so I'll start you off with Nathan Broadhead against Gillingham because that that had, had they not won that game, when it's nil-nil past the 90 minutes, the, the whole thing could have been ruined on that day, but they won that game. Mm. Then a sort of double at Oxford. There was a late Elliot Embleton goal, but I, I also want to mention that Anthony Patterson save when it was 1-1. Mm. That wasn't in the last 10 minutes, but that set the scene for another late goal, the Embleton goal. Then you've got Broadhead again against Shrewsbury after they gave away the two-goal lead. Then you've got one of the most glorious, enjoyable, memorable football moments I can, I've been witness to for a long time, the Rotherham goal late, mm. which was just astonishing. And then I think, you know, I don't know if it, the timing of Patrick Roberts' goal has slightly been lost just in the euphoria of it was the goal that got them to Wembley. But that was another way after 90-minute goal. So there you are. There's the top five Alex Neal breadcrumb late goal moments. But but again, I mean, the way you've just described it, though, you could almost, if you just talked about it like that, you could almost say, well, actually, have we gotten out of jail, really, in most of those occasions? Um, yes, you could. But that's a conversation that you can't fully conclude until next Saturday at six o'clock, isn't it? <laughs> Very true. OK. But I, I mean, just going back to the semi-final and the two games against Sheffield Wednesday, that game at the Stadium of Light, would you say that's... The, the best we've played under Alex Neil? He certainly thought so. He, he was very effusive about it afterwards when he came up to the press room. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I think, I think, I think possibly all things considered, circumstance, atmosphere, opposition, maybe it was because they were worth more than a 1-0 win. 
on that night, apart from the usual last 10 minute flurry where the opposition flings the ball forward and sees what happens. Sheffield Wednesday never, ever, ever looked like they were going to score. Um, yeah, I think I think in terms of control and the way he wants them to play, it probably was the best that they played under him, yes. Yeah, it was an impressive uh, performance. And then in the second leg, even though it was the same eleven, which I think surprised a few people because I don't think Alex Neal's done that too often. Um, it might have been actually for the first time. I think I, it was. I, I was going to check that. Yeah. But even though it was the same eleven, we set up completely differently. In, in how we played. It was obvious there was a completely different plan. And other than that lapse of concentration when with a Barry Bannon ball, um, it almost kind of worked to perfection. And again, we, we were talking in March about Alex Neal trying to get his ideas across. I mean, did that performance in the second leg at Hillsborough show just how much he's instilled what he wants from the players? And in terms of specific plans for specific games, how much work he does on the training ground? I think it did. Um, one thing that I noticed, that I should say, Sheffield Wednesday hasn't got a very big press box. And because of that, uh, myself and my good friend Jeff Brown from BBC Look North actually ended up pitch side for the first half. Pitch side's always very interesting because you see how kind of nasty a game of football actually is when you're up close. And... The, the big thing that stuck out for me was that at the Stadium of Light, Sunderland w- Woods played the ball out, roll the ball out short and try and play out short from the back. And they really didn't do that very much against against Sheffield uh, in the second leg at Hillsborough. Same if, if, if they won the ball from Sheffield Wednesday. Again, they would take their time at the Stadium of Light. They were not taking their time uh, at Hillsborough. The ball was being removed from the danger area quite quickly. Mm. But also they were tough. The, the whole League One time-wasting, shithousery thing. Let me tell you, after nearly four seasons in League One, Sunderland can shithouse with the best of them uh, when they have to. And being down low for that first half, it, it was interesting to see. And you're right, it, it's, it's, it's just hardened them for battle. And so first leg, you're on the front foot. We can play the way we want to from an attacking point of view. Second leg they'll be on the front foot inevitably because of the situation in the match. Therefore, we have to turn to our defensive strategy. And yeah, it was, as you say, same 11, but two completely different performances. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, shithousery there, which gives us a perfect segue into the final um, because, (laughs) of course, we're playing Wickham Wanderers after they beat MK Duns in in their semi-final. Um, and, And just look at, I mean, we've got a really good record of playing Wickham in, in League One. I mean, it actually surprised me because I've always had this impression, oh, no, it's Wickham. It's a bit of a kind of a... I don't know why, but I've had this impression they're a bogey team. But we've only got one defeat in six against them in League One. But, I mean, their record in the running has been very good. I mean, they were unbeaten in 13 before the second leg against MK Dons, but I'm sure they didn't mind that defeat because they, they needed the results. But they're no mugs, and they're not going to be turning up to, to just make up the numbers at Wembley. Absolutely they're not. And as we record this, it's actually this morning that it was announced that Gareth Ainsworth got the Manager of the Month award, not Alex Neal, uh, for mm. April. Now, that I haven't got a problem with that. that that's the toss of a coin. That's whoever's doing the judging. There's no problem with that. So something that I'm, I'm, I suspect we'll get onto of Wickham's chairman doing the narrative of the David versus Goliath, no chance against Sunderland, big boots, Billy Big Boots Sunderland... I just find it odd because you're quite right in 
In footballing terms, I think nearly four seasons in, the majority of Sunderland fans have accepted that Sunderland are a League One team. Wickham are a League One team. They're a good League One team. They finished very, very close behind Sunderland. They, they've been in the Championship within the last two seasons. They won a playoff final in 2020. They've got some good players. They know what they're doing. They are not turning up to make up the numbers. Yeah, I mean, it's not easy, but I don't know. It, it, the way that Alex Neal has got them at the minute, I look at it from the outside and I, I, I'm reasonably confident that the way Alex Neal will look at this is it's the next match. We'll go there and we'll win it. Well, I mean, let, let's let's cover that kind of statement from the from the Wickham owner because, like you said, it was a strange one. I mean, I think even the Wickham uh, Wanderers media team didn't want anything to do with it. I'm not sure whether they wanted to particularly pass it on. Wickham fans have kind of disowned it a little bit. I mean, calling us, you know, that team from, uh, you know, from that Netflix team and, and all this sort of stuff. And it, from, from my point of view, with the way Gareth Ainsworth is and the way Wickham play, they, they don't really need statements like that, do they? No, I, I mean... Obviously, it's come from the chairman. It's not. I, I like Gareth Ainsworth. Um, I think he's a good manager, and he always comes across pretty well when he talks to the media. He's come up to the stadium and like a couple of uh, press room a couple of times. And he's he's always seemed perfectly perfectly decent, but like the you know, there's a lot of jokes that aren't funny anymore. Just just the whole thing of Sunderland being in League One that's not funny anymore. But obviously, they've still got work to do to actually try and get themselves out of it. But the whole idea of the rest of League One thinking that Sunderland are too big for their boots, I've never quite thought that that was right. And I, I don't think that joke's funny anymore. And Wickham's chairman sort of also alluding to the fact that Sunderland are this huge club. How can little old sweet, quaint, worldwide famous Wickham um, be expected to compete with Sunderland? It's just like, change the record. You, you've done that all the time. Your team is on a level with Sunderland's team. It's you picking at, at, at this stuff. And I believe the reaction from his own fans hasn't been particularly good. It's been a bit eye-rolly, hasn't it? Um, it it's just a funny one. And, and there is that element. I, I don't know whether Alex Neal is the sort who, you know, pins up the the newspaper article on, on the board in the dressing room and, and there's his team talk done. But it's there for him if he wants to, isn't it? It's just, there was no need to do it. Especially because essentially all he's trying to do is flog tickets to the final. And that's fine. But do you have to do you have to do all the Netflix stuff? Do you have to do all the oh look at them, Billy Big Boots? Just sell your tickets, you know? It's it just seems really strange. And it's it's been going on for three years and oh, I don't know. Maybe I think it's just more proof that Sunderland Football Club really could do with not being in League One next season. Well I think I think you've just called it because the, the the timing of it suggested that their initial push for tickets wasn't quite working. So he felt, I think, he needed some sort of gimmick. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, in terms of um, the, the game itself, I mean, there's been a bit of talk about the big pitch and Wickham going to kind of dig in and try and defend and it's going to be us who will have the majority of the ball. I mean, I think according to the stats, I think Wickham are in the bottom two or something in League One in terms of possession during their games. But, I mean, looking at the last two games at the Stadium alike, it's an aggregate score of 7-1 to Sunderland. So if Wickham did come purely to defend in those games it suggests that it's going to play into our hands. Yes, and I don't think that they will. If we put aside Wickham's chairman and the things that they've said and, and that sort of attitude that they've got, I do think that Gareth Ainsworth and his coaching staff and his playing staff have done a tremendous job over the past five or six years with what they've got. And I think they're to be 
admired and respected next Saturday as well because they've got some decent players. I mean, McCleary, Mametti are, are, are decent creative players. Sam Vokes has scored quite a few goals, not as many as Ross Stewart, but he's scored quite a few goals this season. And look, he, he's a, he's a centre-forward who's played international football and, and who's played at, at the highest level. This is not a team of mugs. This is, this is not a rags-to-riches David and Gullet. You know, it's not an, basically, this is not an FA Cup tie. This, this, is, this is two teams on a fairly equal footing meeting. Yes, they do play a certain way. Yes, the way Sunderland are playing now, I think it favours Sunderland. But you're not telling me that every time Wickham get a long throw, a corner or a free kick, every Sunderland fan in the ground next Saturday is not going to be absolutely terrified. And I think I think Wickham have beat some teams at the top in that in that run that the the thirteen unbeaten as well. So like I said, they're, they're no mugs. But I mean, just to talk about a couple of uh, individual players, obviously because they were so impressive against Sheffield Wednesday, Jack Clark and Patrick Roberts, those two seem to have stepped it up, especially those two games against Sheffield Wednesday. Maybe it's just down to the fact they're getting regular football now. But do you think that Wembley and the occasion that it's going to be would be perfect for those two to to carry on that that good form? And show what they can do as well. It should be. Um, that's far and away the best I've seen Jack Clark play since he's been here. Uh, I thought he, he was he was very good. He was an, a legitimate out ball uh, at times. Where if if they got the ball to him on Monday night, he could he could run with it. He could he could move with it, and it and it would take some time off the clock, and it would just relieve a bit of pressure. Uh, obviously, the way he set up the goal, going outside his man, it was I think the first time he'd actually gone outside his man as well. Yeah, the big pitch, I think I think the big occasion hopefully will suit him. Similarly with Roberts as well. I, I wonder if, I'm sure Sunderland fans will, will hope that Alex Neal has, has sort of timed the whole Patrick Roberts thing just right. Because Patrick Roberts was one of those who Alex Neal referred to in his early days as saying, a player here who's played hardly any football during the season and therefore isn't up to speed. And I just wonder if he's maybe timed it perfectly to get Roberts now fully up to speed, just exactly when he needs him. Patrick Roberts has played in huge games. You know, he's played in front of the Celtic Park crowd time and time again and been a hero for them. He knows big occasions. He knows big pitches. He knows big crowds. Should suit him down to the ground. And especially now, you know, kind of Monday night was, if it wasn't before, liftoff for his Sunderland career. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I would think Wickham will be spending a lot of time analysing what he does over the next few days. Yeah, and I think the evidence of that with Roberts was um, making a, a dart and run in the 93rd minute <laughs> into the box at the back post. But uh, but yeah, I mean, at, at the other end of the pitch, you mentioned the record of how few have conceded. Um, but I wanted to mention this partnership of Bailey Wright and Danny Barth at the, at the back. I mean, they threw themselves at everything over those two legs. I mean, you saw Bailey Wright, you know, at the end of the game, covered in blood and all this sort of stuff. You've mentioned Sam Vokes, who they're going to be up against. He's one who likes the physical side of the game, but you'd think that that's the type of player that actually prefer to be up against. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I agree. Those two have been absolutely fantastic over the past month for some Dan- Danny Bath as well is an interesting one because he doesn't all, he hasn't always play. It's something Alex Neal has, has mentioned a few times that players... Some players have come in and out of the lineup. Like Danny Bart didn't play in all the games because there were certain games where Alex Neal did, didn't think that he needed Danny Bart's particular skill set. But as, as it's got down to the end of the season and down where not letting goals in is, is crucially important, then Danny Bart does seem to play every week. And he's been very good. Bailey Wright's been brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. And yeah, I, I, I don't know what Sunderland fans thought of him. I can only speak for myself. I always thought he was decent, but... 
and I, I never sort of, I never saw him, I, I never really felt he played at a, a particularly massively high level for Sunderland before now. Now I'm genuinely, genuinely impressed with him. He looks really good. Should mention as well, a huge part of the defensive system and the defensive success has been Corey Evans, who is another one who maybe didn't win Sunderland fans over earlier in the season under Lee Johnson, but now has become one of, if not the first, well, Ross Stewart's the first name, but, you know, one of the first names on the team sheet. Yeah, yeah. And we've talked about Alex Neil having specific plans for each leg in the in the semi-final and he prepares his team for whatever specific task is, is in front of them. What do you think his plan's going to be to approach the game against Wickham? You know what? I, 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 I say this kind of as a, a credit to Alex Neil. I genuinely, I don't know. <laughs> I can tell you most of the players I think will play, but I can't tell you with any certainty what way he'll set up because he, he can do four at the back, he can do three at the back. It's whatever he thinks is best for each team. Pretty much any, anyone who's followed the last month can list the players who, who you're pretty certain are going to play. Um, and it, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if if the semi final lineup is actually the lineup, because that was effective in both directions, in offensively and defensively as well. But the truth is, I just don't know. He's 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 done some things that have surprised me tactically over the past month and a half. And again, he he just seems very good at marshalling his resources, and he's also he's quite specific. Well, as you've mentioned, as we've mentioned earlier in the podcast, um, he's quite specific game to game. So even though they've they've gone with this same eleven for both semi finals, it wouldn't surprise me if they kept it. But equally, it wouldn't surprise me if he changed it because he's earned the right to do that. Yeah, uh, and uh, up top, I mentioned our playoff record, which I'm sure is going to be trotted out quite a few times between now and, and kick off. Alex Neil was was quizzed on. Sunderland's dismal uh, record in the playoffs um, at the final whistle at Hillsborough and his reaction suggested that he's not going to give it a second's thought himself but will it be something he'll have to make sure that it doesn't filter down to the players and get get in their minds? I don't know whether he'll think that that's important. Uh, yeah, I think you're right because obviously he's been asked about it in, in various press conferences and he doesn't care. He says, well, you know, it was nothing to do with me. Why didn't he... His reasoning is, why does what happened two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, have any bearing on a match next Saturday? And I think that I, I do wonder because he strikes me as a pretty shrewd bloke when it comes to football stuff. And I think that that's, that's his personality. And, and I think that's understandably the, the way that he approaches answering that question. But it wouldn't surprise me if he does think about it a bit. And maybe he might have the odd message to, to players to... In, in his own way, not to worry about it. I, I don't know how he'll approach it. Publicly, anyway, he just he couldn't give a stuff about it. Just not bothered at all about it whatsoever. I mean, I, I fully expect that they'll treat next week largely like a, a standard league match week. I, I don't know if they'll do much different. It's always, it's always been a thing that he's preached is if you do something different for a big game, what actually his own words, you ask yourself, well, why don't we do this every week? Uh, so, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know what the team's plans are yet. I've heard that the, the press conference is likely to just be Friday morning at nine o'clock, as it, as it would be for, for a, normal, a normal league game. We'll see what he does. But that genuinely wouldn't surprise me if he just tries to keep things as, as normal and as steady as, and, as, and as just another match as possible in order to try. That might be, in fact, the way that he tries to, to sort of alleviate the whole historical pressure that, that comes from outside. 
Yeah. And, and talking about press conferences and the, the kind of interaction with the media it has, we talked last time how different he is to, to Lee Johnson and the way he deals with that side of things. And I know I know uh, people now who almost put it in their calendar to watch his press conferences because they find them so so entertaining. And he's been compared to Roy Keane as well in the way that he deals deals with the press in that way. I mean, you, you obviously covered uh, Roy Keane, but... I mean, do you think there's similarities there? And I mean, is there a good relationship between Alex Neil and, and the regulars who cover Sunderland? Yeah, it's fine. Um, there's a similarity between uh, Alex Neil and Roy Keane are not exact personality matches, but there is quite a similar way in which they deal with the press in that they don't suffer fools gladly. And they, I think they're kind of, if if they think a question is either flat out bad or a bit sloppy then they'll kind of let you know that and they they just don't suffer fools gladly uh, but the the relationship i i've been to the well a lot of them were were on zoom but they before the the playoff semi-finals um they got us back to the academy of light he's fine it's not it's not an adversarial atmosphere or anything like that um he's fine he's he's fine you know he's 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 not cuddly. He's not. He's not that kind of thing. But he's fine. He's not. He's not aggressive or anything like that with the media. He's. He's, he's absolutely fine. It's just he's kind of set out his stall that it's. You know. He's not. He's not going to mess about. If he doesn't think you've asked a good question, then he's. He's kind of going to let you know. Um, and that, that's fine. I'm all right with that. Um, I'm not sure I want to go down this route. Um, but <laughs> if we don't make it to the championship this year. Um, do you think it's going to be the case that our biggest asset going forward will be Alex Neil? And do you think he's going to be up for another crack at League One? First of all, I think that they will be in the Championship next season. Second of all, if they're not, yes, Alex Neil will be a huge asset to them. Would he stay? I, I would hope that he would stay and be up for the challenge. But I do think that Alex Neil would be within his rights to speak to the ownership about what the squad's going to look like. And there is a whole list of questions which Sunderland fans don't really ever want the club to have to answer that Alex Neil would have to get answered. What's going to happen with Ross Stewart? What's going to happen with certain other players? What money would you give to me to reinvest and create a new squad that I think can get promoted out of League One over a full campaign? I think there would have to be a frank exchange of views and, and, and a, some serious meetings if that unfortunate situation were to come to pass. But I think that Alex Neil has enjoyed his time at Sunderland so far. He can see the potential, although his attitude to potential is very much that potential's like a television programme you watch. It's not really real. It doesn't matter. Potential is only something that might happen in the future. And again, that would form part of the meetings that he would have if that is the situation the club finds itself in. So to sum up, after a very long-winded answer, I think they will get promoted. He would be a big asset. I would hope he would stay, but he would be entitled to ask a lot of questions of the club. Yeah, well, you've just... Um, slightly described a bit of a horror scenario that I don't really want to go down. But I mean, I, I mean, just kind of along this, the kind of similar lines. I mean, the longer we stay in League One, it seems like it, the more difficult it gets uh, to get out. And there's going to be another batch of fairly big clubs in League One next year. And and again, I mean, for me, I might be over-egging it, but it, it does slightly feel like the result of this game could potentially have repercussions for the club for the next five, ten years and there's, you know, inevitably might be questions about the ownership and, you know, and all that brings. But, I mean, do you think, you know, failure to, to get up this season could have that long-term effect on the club? 
I don't know is the honest answer. I think at this point, when you're looking at these matches, playoff finals are, are just such huge emotional things that, I mean, in some, res- in, in some respects, organisationally, they're more important than cup finals because you're talking about a whole year's work and then you're totally reshaping the next year's work depending on the result. They're just such huge emotional days. I don't know, to be honest. If Sunderland get promoted, it will lead to questions about the ownership, but they're good questions. They're positive questions. It's, right, so, Kirill, what are you going to do? What are you made of? Are you going to take the next step? If they don't get promoted, there'll be different questions about the ownership and the things that fans aren't happy about, such as the makeup of the ownership, I'm sure will come and be amplified and, and, and come to the fore again. It's just so hard to say. I, th- I think that there's a, an emotional response which, which seeps into the media as well, believe me, that one match can mean everything for the next 10 years. I'm not actually sure that that's ever quite the case. I think a lot of people thought that after the first playoff final, and yet the, the club has kind of proceeded, not successfully, but in a similar way that it did before for the, for the following two years. We already know that the, the incredible loyalty of Sunderland fans has, has been proven because they've shifted 20,000 plus season tickets for next season without knowing what division they're in. I don't know that it that it completely shapes the next five or ten years. I do think that League One seeps into your bones a bit. And the longer you are there, the more you become like Jack Nicholson in the painting on the wall of the Hotel in the Shining. And it feels like you've always been there. So don't get me wrong. I think it's vital that Sunderland get out. I'm not sure that it's end of days if they don't. That's a brilliant analogy of being in League One. I'm going to have to... I'm going to have to nick that one off you, uh, Simon, and, and use that myself. But uh, one one last question along this kind of what-if scenario. It's obviously the end of the first full season under the new owner. If we aren't in the Championship next season, what can the fans look to as a sign that Kirill Louis-Dreyfus is making progress and the club is moving forward? OK, so we're talking about a scenario where some of them aren't promoted. I think what they can look forward to, well, what they could look to first and foremost would be Alex Neal still being the manager at the start of next season and being reasonably happy with the squad that is assembled to tackle another campaign in League One. That would be about the best that they can hope for, I think. Maybe it might be the time, well, win or lose, to be honest, it might be the time to definitively address the, the full scale of the ownership issue and perhaps remove some people from the ownership Get some more shares in the club. I don't know. It's not up to me. It's not my money. But I, th- I think the most important thing for Sunderland fans, if they don't get promoted, would be to start the next preseason with Alex Neil as the manager, stroke head coach, and with a squad that he has had input into building that you'd be fairly confident would get promoted yeah. next season. Yeah. Okay. Well, now we've got that that part out of the way. I'm not going to touch on. That's the possibility of us being defeated anymore. But we can talk about the weekend itself. Um, I mean, I mean, are you, are you on duty for the game? And are you going to be covering the festivities before, maybe the night before and maybe after the game? Yeah, um, we were talking before we started. Look, we, we know who we are. We're, we're ITV Tainties. We're a regional television station. We're not Sky Sports. A big part of our story is, you know, the city of Sunderland's going down to London, hopefully to finally celebrate a victory at Wembley. Obviously, there was a victory at Wembley last year, but the city of Sunderland couldn't be there to celebrate it. So yes, we're, we're planning to go down on Friday. We would be planning to be around Trafalgar Square, if indeed that is where people once again congregate on Friday night. Because to me, that's a huge part of the story of the weekend. 
obviously, ultimately, the result of the match on Saturday is, is, is what colours the story and what makes the story what it's going to be, whether it's a happy story or a sad story. But yeah, to me, that's a huge part of it. Sunderland fans going down there, showing their pride and devotion in their club. And look, I mean, the actual thing is, it, it's a much better story this time if Sunderland win. Because, you know, we've seen the story before when they don't win. I would be interested to know what covering the story is like <laughs> when Sunderland actually win a playoff final at Wembley and the fans are actually there. Uh, the other conversation we had before the start is, what would Sunderland fans do on Saturday night if they win? Because there is simply no precedent for it. So all the Wembley woe that's been there before, obviously Sunderland fans aren't going to go out en masse and celebrate if they get beat, are they? Then last year, during COVID lockdown, they actually finally win at Wembley and there's no fans there to celebrate. The, the truth is that us in the media and the fans, as, as an amorphous group of people, just don't know what, what would happen because there's, there's no precedent for it. So you can, ask, you can ask your mums and dads who were there in 1973, but the truth is they probably just had a sandwich and a bottle of beer and got back on the bus. So it, it would be, that, that's, to me, that would be an essential part of the story. So what happens if Sunderland it's a, win? It's a frightening thought, to be honest. I, I, to be honest, I think uh, Sunderland fans just might spontaneously combust, to be honest, and then not be able to to celebrate just at the shock of it. But but yeah, so, so you're going to be out and about, you think, covering Trafalgar Square, then you people might bump into you? That would be the plan. I mean, we're, we're sitting here now, we're, our plan is to travel down on the Friday before the match. We've, we've got plans to, to maybe do a bit of broadcasting in London on Friday. But I don't want to say too much about that because we're still, we're still sort of finalising stuff and seeing what we can and can't do. But yeah, we'll, we, we plan to be out and about on Friday night and then obviously we'll be there well before the match on Saturday and we'll be around outside after the match on Saturday as well. I should say, obviously, fortunate enough to be inside to see the match as well. Yeah, I mean, really looking forward to it. A, a strange thing, I mean, northeast football's not massively successful, but I, I've been to New Wembley dozens of times. <laughs> well, the, you think of FA Vars finals, FA Trophy finals, playoff finals, Middlesbrough were in a playoff final. Pretty much everybody's been there, and it, it's 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 an enjoyable trip. It's not perfect. There's, some, there's something a little bit impersonal about it, I think, Wembley. And especially now that the whole Wembley way has become so built up, it's a slightly different experience, but it's still, you know, kind of unbeatable. It's still a huge moment for football fans to see their team walk out there. And as I say, what, what I hope to cover, simply because I've not had a chance to do it professionally, what I hope to cover is the idea of, of Sunderland and Sunderland fans winning at Wembley. Yeah, yeah. yeah it comes with a lot of... Uh stress as far as I'm concerned at the minute but uh, hopefully we'll, en we'll enjoy the weekend but I mean talking about that we, we spoke to you in September and even in September you were confident we were going to be promoted then we talked in March and you said your confidence dipped a little bit but you thought we'd still do it so how's your confidence in Sunderland being promoted as it stands? Confident still confident I'm not going to go wildly over the top because I think Wickham will, will be hard to beat and could Wickham win the match against Sunderland on Saturday? Absolutely for sure they could. Do I think they will? No, I do not. I think that Alex Neal's Sunderland will win the playoff final at Wembley on Saturday. Well, there you have it. That's a perfect place to leave it, Simon. I was banking on that <laughs> to, to finish with. But, but thanks again, Simon. Really appreciate your time and uh, have a fantastic 
uh, weekend in London and hopefully uh, maybe bump into you at some point. Hopefully, and I hope all Sunderland fans uh, enjoy it, stay safe and find out what it feels like to win. Brilliant. Nice one. Cheers, Simon. Uh, thanks again, everyone, for listening. Enjoy the trip to Wembley. If you're going, I'm sure another podcast will be dropping very soon. Keep a look out on the Rock Report site for all the latest ahead of the big game. But from us, it's bye for now. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.